From KBOO in Portland, Oregon, this is Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Schott. Religion for Life explores the intersection between religion, social justice, and public life. I speak with interesting people who bring new and fresh ideas to the discussion regarding spirituality, philosophy, religion, politics, science, our human future, and our human joy and angst. It is a 29-minute weekly show, free to stations. Religion for Life can be heard on WPVM Asheville, North Carolina, WETS Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC Emory, Virginia, and of course around the world via podcast. New episodes are uploaded every Sunday morning at 11 Pacific Time. Catch Religion for Life on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podomatic, and wherever else you download podcasts. Find links at religionforlife.com. My guest is Mary Flum Peterson. She was a reporter for CNN and currently is the multi-Emmy award-winning producer for Good Morning America. She is the author of White Dresses, a memoir of love and secrets, Mothers and Daughters. While Mary is highly successful, her childhood was tortured as her mother descended into hoarding. Her book is an honest account and a loving, if often painful, tribute to her mother's life and the bond that held them together, despite it all, symbolized by the various white dresses that marked significant moments in their lives. Mary Flum Peterson is on the phone with me from New York City to talk about this book. Welcome, Mary, to Religion for Life. Thank you so much. I'm really honored to be with you today. Talk about this fantastic book. I stayed up uh, till one in the morning last night to read it. I wanted to finish the whole thing. How did you come to write uh, White Dresses? It was truly an accident. It was not, uh, many people have talked about it, the book being emotionally raw and very revealing at times. And I think the reason that that was possible was as I wrote it, I, I didn't intend for it necessarily to be published. As a member of the media, I know you know, it's it's uh, it's a lot to put yourself out there and to put your family out there, warts and all. I, I, I got to talk about some really beautiful moments, but also um, I think to, to do justice to the story, I wanted to tell the whole story, and I wasn't sure if I was ready to do that. So as I wrote it, I just put it all out there, um, and that's what I found in the writing class that I was taking at the time that, that people really responded to. It resonated with them. I had taken a writing class at my kid's preschool um, about a year and a half after my mother died, intending to polish off a, a book of a very different nature, uh, kind of a, a more fluffy book. It was a, a novel, a chick-lit novel. And there was a writing exercise at the beginning of class, about the third class into the session, and they asked me to write in a timed exercise just to get warmed up about how I got my name. My name is Mary, and my, I'm named in large part because of my mother's faith, her deep and abiding faith, and she'd been in the convent for nearly 10 years, uh, obviously before I was born. And and that is how, in large part, she came to name me Mary. She felt like in leaving the convent, she actually had a, something of a vision. And uh, and I wrote this essay, but I, I wrote in the course of this essay about some of the complexities of our family, um, always very loving, but, a, you know, a little bit complicated. And the class just loved it. And so um, they encouraged me to write more, and pretty quickly it became clear that my mother's life and my life could be traced together through the white dresses that we'd worn. And I found I was feeling much closer to my mother as I wrote it. I missed her so much. I had just given birth to my youngest daughter, my first daughter after three sons. I was now uh, I had a mother-daughter relationship again, but now I was the mother, not the daughter. Yet as the daughter, I missed my mother. 
So a lot of things were going on, and I think it just all kind of came together. I thought, if nothing else, it was a little bit healing, and it made me feel better as I grieved and mourned my mother's loss. But ultimately, um, the bonus was how much my class said, and my class, I should note, was from all different faiths, um, Buddhist, atheist, Jewish uh, folks in my class, um, not a single Catholic actually in my class, and they, they, they all really loved the book and, and found it um, uh, very inspiring, they said, and so, so here we are. I, you know, as I was reading it, I was wondering uh, if you were also kind of searching for answers about uh, about your, your mother and your family, and, and how, how much did you learn about your mother after her death? You know, I think it's, it's, a, it's an important thing for any, anybody to do to, you know, to learn more about their parents' life as a human being that doesn't necessarily involve being a parent. I think it's fascinating. I think it's interesting um, to, to pass down not only to uh, future generations, uh, you know, you know, here's a picture of grandma and grandpa with you, but hey, did you know, it's just like you have a passion for fine arts or whatnot, or, you know, just like you dream of, of studying in Paris, so, so did your grandmother. I think it's so important to remember that they were human beings with hopes and dreams of their own, and I, I, I really, um, I missed her, obviously, but I, it was important for me to, yes, to, to dig deeper. I was looking for some answers in terms of what had happened and why things had happened the way they had to this very brilliant woman. Um, my mother was so full of life and um, had so many wonderful gifts, yet um, in so many ways was so beaten down, um, literally and physically, in, in some respects, by the end of her life. So I did want to somehow dig deeper and get answers, but also get to better know her. I think in all honesty, I also, I somehow, I, I had just gotten done writing a novel, and I think of looking back, I think there was a part of me that was almost looking to fix things, that somehow if I, I went back, I could do what you do in a novel, and you could fix that character, and I, you know, you know, I, I, I couldn't fix the situations. The hardest parts, I think, for me to rewrite weren't about the pain that, that happened in my life. I was kind of at peace with, with that, but it was, you know, I wanted to go back and, and somehow better protect her from some of, some of life's big hurts. Well, you know, we tend, um, your mother suffered from mental illness, and, and we tend to sometimes divine a person's life by that. And what I found in your book is that you found such, there's so much more uh, depth to her life, more than just the mental illness itself, and, and that comes out. Yes, I, you know, I, mental illness is something I, I'm glad we're talking about more as a society and that we're defining it as, yes, an illness because an illness, um, you know, is finally kind of acknowledging that, you know, it's not somebody's fault or not in somebody's head, but, you know, we've got a long way to go. But, no, absolutely. I mean, it, she never let that define her. I mean, she had some real um, low points, but she, she, it, she never, ever let it um, inhibit her ability to love and to really love with her whole heart and soul and really put herself out there in ways that I think all of us can learn from. Kindness and compassion were rules number number one for her. She really was all about that, and, and that is what defined her. You know, the long lines at her funeral, um, you know, person after person talking about how kind she was, you know, how she, um, you know, asked about somebody's sick child or perhaps, um, you know, all kinds of things she would remember to ask and not feel awkward the way so many of us do in certain situations of, oh, I don't know, I don't know. It, you know, she, would, she was very much, I mean, she wore her whole heart on her sleeve, which I guess some might argue in reading the book, but sometimes was her undoing. 
because she put herself out there so much. But, um, no, she, she very much, I mean, depression was um, definitely um, a monster in her life that I don't think she ever fully beat down, but she certainly always gave it a really good fight. You know, there there is an aspect of, of real strength to that. Um, we tend to sometimes... Uh, look at from the outside at depression or mental illness and, and how it plays out in, in your mother's sense in, in the hoarding, uh, dismissively or judgmentally, you know, those television shows that you allude to a little bit in the book about hoarding are so voyeuristic from my perspective. Yes, um, uh, but, um, but she was really actually a strong person. I mean, she kept her job teaching. I mean, she was managing uh, all right. of this. And then, of course, putting every energy she had into uh, love for you. And you wrote... Uh, that she was doing the best she could, and you really meant that. I really meant that. She really was. I, and, you know, I, I, you know, I think mental illness, you know, we, we talk about so much, um, you know, about people, you know, the fight of their lives and, 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 and beating, beating down cancer, and I'm not trying to equate this. I mean, you know, depression um, as it is, is, you know, I'm not putting that in the same category, but I think to a degree, um, chronic depression, it's, it's, it's of a similar nature of it's something, you know, to be viewed as something, you, you, you know, that people are in for the fight of their lives to beat that down. It's, it's so much easier said than done. So much of it for her, I mean, I think she had some physical predisposition in, in her life, um, but, I, but obviously there was a lot of situational as well. But she, um, no, she functioned very, very, very well. She was very good at, she, she couldn't stand the word coping, yet mm. she was extremely good at it. She, she, <laughs> I think she didn't like the word coping, I think because she was told so often, I think it was a much bigger word in the 70s and 80s than it is now, but she was told to cope. And she did cope very well. Um, she was extreme. you know, part of it was she was just a very brilliant woman, you know, she you know, was extremely well-read, was forever reading, very naturally curious. Um, but she she could really, I wouldn't say, I, she wasn't the type that was, like, purposely trying to be an actress. Um, she was very authentic. But she was also very good at muddling through and, and of prioritizing. So she, when it came to children, both the children she served in the classroom, she was an early childhood teacher, um, speech pathologist, uh, worked very hard with children with learning disabilities and, and towards the end of her life, worked very hard with children on the autistic spectrum, really, really gave herself to those kids. She wanted to be there for those kids and, and, the, and the kids' parents, and she wanted to be there certainly for my brother and I, and she really put her priorities there. She was just really adept at sensing when others were hurting, I think because she was hurting so much herself. If she saw sadness in the eyes, if she saw change in physical weight, going up or down, you know, she was always suspicious, like, what's going on? Is, is everything okay? She, did, she was not one to be nosy or rubbernecking. She was one who just really wanted to help, and I think that's what got her through, was her, if she found an ability to help anyone, big or small, that, that really sustained her. If you are just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Mary Flum Peterson. She is uh, a producer at ABC's Good Morning America and the author of White Dresses, a memoir of love and secrets, mothers and daughters. Uh, your story really covers a lot of, of big issues, uh, uh, an angry uh, father throwing things, who's also gay, attempts at suicide, um, your mother's divorce and all that, what that meant with the Catholic Church and depression and, and whatnot, all silent and lonely and, and kind of shaming things, and you write a book about it. Um, and I, and I, think, I, I think this is, is this a cure for shame to, to bring it out in the open? 
you know, I didn't intend it to be, um, you know, as you state it like that, I, it almost sounds like a tell-all, and I want to be really clear. I mean, I wasn't no. intending. Uh, one of my favorite notes that I've gotten um, since I wrote the book, uh, over the summer before the book came out, Anna Quinlan had seen um, the book before it came out, and she wrote to me and said, she, she let off by saying she loved the book, but then immediately said, I love Anna Quinlan's candor. She said, you know, I usually really don't like memoirs, and here's why. Either they, they sugarcoat everything, and you're thinking, well, that's not real, or come on, um, really? Then why are you writing about this? Because uh, truthfully, if it's sugarcoated, it's not very interesting, right? Or two, she said, someone's, you know, got an axe to grind and just wants to, to grind that axe. So I don't want that book to come across as either. I mean, obviously, you've just noted that I didn't do the former. I, I didn't sugarcoat things. But I also really wasn't trying to, you know, I think some people, when they write these things, are just trying to put it out there and, you know, you know, look at me, I'm a victim or whatnot. No, it was the journalist in me was just, just telling the story as it is, um, as it unfolded. What I found in the writing class that I had taken um, that was very supportive of the book as it, it evolved, you know, that's what resonated most with them. And as my writing instructor noted, that's what could potentially help people the most, other families with mental illness in their families, perhaps um, families in situations like mine, um, very Catholic families where some things that had come up that might otherwise be considered shameful and um, letting people know that they're not alone um, and, and that in the case of, you know, families with members like my mother, you know, I think the things that she felt some shame for, um, she it, they weren't her fault. You know, she didn't know my father was gay. Uh, she did the absolute best that she could and worked so hard to remain a, a woman um, of faith but also very much a compassionate woman. Um, so if, if the question is leading to, so then, you know, why write this and why, why put it out there? Uh, I was torn. I didn't know that I wanted this to be a book. And being a journalist myself, I'm very cognizant of what can happen when you put yourself out there like that, what can happen to a family. And, and two things happened. One, I had a wonderful writing instructor who said, you know what, um, this could really help people feel less alone. And two, I had a wonderful husband who said, you know, um, the same thing. And and also, just uh, in this age of Facebook Nation, where so much of what we're passing on to other people is this image of total perfection, I think there's something to um, letting people, including our own children, eventually when they're old enough, know about the complexities of family, that there are highs and lows, and it's not all smooth sailing for everyone. But my mother's life, I think, is so much an example of not giving up and continuing um, to love through even the darkest of times. He really felt like that that might be a nice legacy um, for for the kids eventually. And um, I, I would tend to agree with that. So uh, so it, it came together kind of happenstance. I wasn't sure the whole time I was writing the book that I did ultimately want to put it out there. But ultimately people really felt like it could do um, be more helpful than harmful. And from what I found, even if the book's only been out for a very short time, but the people reaching out... It's, that very much seems to be the case. I'm, hear, I'm hearing from so many people saying thank you for addressing the mental health issues, thank you for addressing the hoarding, um, telling me um, about similar things that have happened in their families and they're feeling less alone. Well, you know, that was the background for my question. It was uh, I was praising you with that question, and I'll tell you why. Uh, we lost a son three years ago to suicide, 
and right. um, and five years before that on watch with him. And you know, and you just can't put that you know on the prayer chain. Um, that is uh, an aspect of life, but it's such a shaming thing. But I knew coming and telling the story um, is is healing. Uh, for yourself and for others, and that's that's what I was thinking about about your story itself. No, it, it is not an exposure kind of thing at all. It is uh, to me a really honest, uh, powerful, loving um, uh, search and talking about what what life is and, and all of its complexity. And uh, and so I, I, that was what I was getting at. I, I really wanted to praise you for doing that and thank you for doing that for the very reasons you're saying. Um, now, are you ready uh, to be kind of the person who gets all of the emails and letters uh, about this? Yes. Oh, well, so, no, it's so lovely now. Um, so now I'm finding I'm having more real conversations than ever. Uh, mothers are approaching me and, and telling me uh, I was at a birthday party on Sunday and a couple of moms came up to me and, and just sharing with me. I mean, uh, one shared a story of, um, you know, a father that had had lifelong MS and, and the interesting family dynamics and um, relating to um, – parents struggling to give their their children this quote-unquote normal life and we're also married to this notion right of normalcy and and their family struggles and dynamics i've had other people approach me people you would never suspect who had come from um backgrounds where a parent um had been a hoarder uh, or other aspects of mental illness um just so much more real and authentic conversations um you know, where, where people, I think, feel safer because they've read my book. They, they feel like, okay, you know, I can talk about this. You know, this person's going to understand because she's laid bare her soul. And, and so I find it so gratifying. I, I had a long conversation the other night um, with some parents um, at, a, at a parent gathering. We're sending our, our oldest to go to a Catholic school, and there was kind of a parents' night out. And just really interesting conversations about complexities within their own families. But it, it gives one pause because it's so nice to have these conversations, and it's um, it makes me realize. Um, just again, I, I keep going back to this Facebook nation, but how unfortunate it is that we all have to think that we have to keep up these facades, and how much probably there's, there's so much more silent suffering than than any of us begin to know of, you know, the people that seem to have it all together at the bus stop or dropping off at school or at Starbucks lines. You know, if only we could come together and reveal a little bit more of our true selves. Um, it's amazing. What, just knowing that you're not alone, I think, can do to get you through the day. And so um, it, it's given me a lot of pause for, for how important that is of, you know, um, in this era of perfection to maybe let some of the imperfections shine through and how much that can help not only yourself but other people around you. Well, the key to, to good writing is to tell the truth, and, and uh, really that's what you did, and that's what resonates. I was thinking of myself of that feeling of helplessness uh, that you had uh, with your mom, that, that you just wanted to help so much and yet and weren't, weren't able to. Um, you're, you're, I wanted to talk just a second about the church. Um, it was, it's a, a struggle. Your, your experience or your mother's experience in the convent was just, uh, I, it made my skin crawl a little bit about all of the experience that she had there, kind of almost like a prison. And yet that vision of the Virgin Mary, uh, that gave her the strength to go ahead and leave. And she didn't give up on the church, even though it had all of its stuff, um, tell, tell me a little bit about that, um, that sense of, yeah, the church was all of this, but also at the same time, it, it gave her a sense of strength, too, something she wouldn't give up on. No, my mother, I, I asked at one point, 
you know, it, you know, more than one point as I was growing up, you know, how she could believe so much, you know, in this, this church, you know, when I was just going through my own, my own things and, and I'd seen that, you know, she'd had, you know, the church was not always kind to her, even after she left the convent. I mean, there were people, for example, in our, our parish community in the 1980s in a small town in the Midwest, when my parents divorced, you know, she was suddenly treated by some, certainly not by all, not even by most, but by some as a second-class citizen, and I, simply because she was divorced, no other reason, and, and had the marriage and all. But, and I saw these things, and I'd ask, well, how can you believe so much? And she said, you know, I just, I don't know how not to believe. She saw so much good in the world. She saw the perfection of a, she didn't believe that man was ever perfect, but she believed sunsets were perfect. She believed um, so much in, you know, the beauty of anything in nature. She loved bumblebees. She loved peony blossoms. She never understood how, you know, a great, great big, you know, anyone who knows a peony blossom, it's huge. It's like the size of a cantaloupe, and it comes from a teeny, tiny little bud the size of a pea. These are the things that she thought were so perfect, and how could you not believe in God and the wonder of, of so many things? And she believed so much in the sacraments, and she said, hey, you know, the only problem is you've got some imperfect human beings running things, and she really believed um, that things would straighten themselves out. She just believed so much. She didn't know how not to believe, and, and it, it just... You know, it really was at the very the core of her, and she she just never gave up, no matter how dark it got. Mary Flum Peterson is my guest. Her book is called White Dresses, a memoir of love and secrets, mothers and daughters. Uh, you recently wrote a couple of uh, articles for the Huffington Post uh, about Pope Francis, of course, just visiting yeah. the United States. Uh, one was called Why Our Love Affair with Pope Francis is Warranted and Thanks Pope Francis for Legitimizing Catholic Kids of Divorce. Is, is, uh, what about Pope Francis? Is he the real deal? Is this going to make a church a kinder, gentler church? I think so. I mean, based on what I'm seeing so far, I think this is a guy that's really, as I, as I write in the essay, that's really walking the walk. So often we have pontiffs that, that talk the talk, and I think we've had some wonderful pontiffs before. Um, I think the difference with Francis is um, uh, twofold. I, I think, one, um, he's just so about embracing uh, and including, and I, I think that Previous pontiffs, that's not necessarily been the case. I mean, the nature of the church, I mean, it, it, this goes back centuries. I mean, to the degree it was a, a matter of survival so long for, for, for religions is, you know, you had to stand out and, you know, there was some exclusion. But Francis is, is saying there's room for everybody at the table. And I, I think that's going to bring back um, a lot of wayward Catholics, not only in this nation but elsewhere. But I think it's, it's going to ultimately... I would argue, and I know many would disagree, strengthen the church. And, and two, I think he's just so much following his own internal um, moral compass, um, less mired in politics uh, and more invested in, I mean, ultimately he's going back to, um, I think he's asking himself forever more in so many of his decisions, you know, What's the Christian thing to do? And and I think it's 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 coming across. So that's that's my argument. I know many would disagree, but um, it's much more in keeping with the kind of Catholic my mother had raised me to be. Mm-hmm. Um, just to be very inclusive and all about compassion. I love that he's taking on causes um, that are has finger on the pulse, ranging from from climate, but to uh, other causes as is is seemingly basic, but are actually really profound, like loneliness. 
I mm. love that he's saying that one of our biggest problems in society, which I would agree with, again, I go back to Facebook Nation, but I just don't feel like people are connecting um, the way they perhaps um, could and should uh, to really help one another. There's so much more isolation, and I love that he's recognizing that. Um, it's certainly not unique to the United States. It's, it's, a, it's a global epidemic, he said, and, and I think that there's, there's something beautiful that he seems very aware of, of so many members of his flock. You know, back to uh, the metaphor of, of white dresses, and you uh, had the, the baptism for your daughter with the white dresses. It, it, what will you continue uh, in your relationship with your daughter as, as you've now written your story about your mother and, and her mother as well? Oh, absolutely. I, I think white dresses are always going to be extremely mm-hmm. important to me. I think it's definitely something I, I've already been passing down to my daughter. She knows. You know, white dresses are, are, are pretty darn special. She's very small. She's just three. Um, but she's, um, you know, uh, she's, she, she likes her princessy things. So right now it's not a hard sell to talk about white dresses. But it's, it's going to be something. I think it's, you know, it was so important to my mother. It was passed on to me. She's certainly going to, um, she's going to be, be taught um, many times over how important those dresses were to me. Of course, I'll have to do the, the, the balancing act that all mothers have to do where, you know, you can't push it too hard or, you, you know, the child goes the other way. But I, I certainly I will be passing physically on a number of dresses to her. Um, the white dresses I talk about in the book will all go to her, and, and hopefully she'll have a few more uh, to pass on to her daughter as well that she'll have from, from you know, from her her life and her milestones. And the, yeah, those were the things that you wanted together uh, from your mother's house after she died. That was the one thing of all of the stuff, literally, that she had. It was the dresses that you needed to to keep. I felt so strongly that, that they had meant so much, and I think it's interesting. I mean, when we talk about white dresses. Um, you know, there were times, I mean, certainly dresses associated with happiness, but it was important for me to save the ones that even were associated with things that were bittersweet. They were milestones. It was kind of, I refer to it in the book almost like rings of an, of an oak tree. It, it, it marked the passages of time. And I, I think it's important for families, you know, I, they, they, we so often want to just hang on to things that are solely happy, but life doesn't work that way. And um, significant moments, yes, were, were marked with these white dresses. So, no, it was almost like I talk about in the book um, when I go back um, to my, my, you know, my mother, unfortunately, after she descended into hoarding at the end of her life. And it, it felt like going in when, you know, you have those what-if moments. If, you know, there was a fire, what would I take with me? And that was, that was my, my fire moment. What would I take? And the first thing I wanted were the white dresses and, and any, any photos that remained. So many things were destroyed because of my mother's hoarding at the end of her life. But, but the dresses, yeah, I had to get the dresses. <laughs> and, and, of course, they symbolized um, a new start, as your mom said, uh, a, a fresh beginning. And, and, that, uh, and in a sense, it, amidst all of the life, uh, that's the great part about, uh, about your book. It, it doesn't sugarcoat anything, uh, but it also speaks about hope. Absolutely, hope and faith. That was a, that was at her very core, and I think it's something for all of us to to hold on to. You know that um, life is at its darkest. She always believed, just hang in there. It, it just means it's about to change. It's about to get lighter. And um, no, she she really really believed that, and she believed in that that the, the, that there was nothing. You know, no one was ever trapped. That you could 
you know, they could start over. Um, and she felt like, I mean, this is not unique entirely to her, of course, the Catholic mm-hmm. Church. Um, many religions believe heartily in, in white and the purity of it. Um, it stands in such great contrast to kind of the messiness and complexity of life. But she was a big, big believer in, in the beauty of white and all the possibilities that white represented. Mary Flum Peterson has been my guest on Religion for Life, the author of an important book, White Dresses, a memoir of love and secrets, mothers and daughters. Mary, thank you for this book and, and for what you're doing in recreating awareness is by just telling your story and the truth. And, and thanks for being with me today. Thank you. A great, great honor to talk with you. Thank you for such thoughtful and lovely questions. You've been listening to Religion for Life, religionforlife.com. I'm John Shuck. Follow Religion for Life on Twitter. Like Religion for Life on Facebook. You can download podcasts on Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, Podomatic, Pod Directory, wherever else you find podcasts. And, of course, our webpage will have links at religionforlife.com. Religion for Life is produced at KBOO Portland. Be well. Be well.